Journalists all over Washington have just gotten a chilling reminder of the perils of reporting on sensitive national security secrets. Federal prosecutors had obtained the phone and email records dating back years of a New York Times reporter named Ali Watkins. The records were apparently used as part of an investigation that led on Thursday night to the arrest and indictment of the former chief of security of the Senate Intelligence Committee, James Wolfe. But this was not a case of the Trump administration shattering norms or precedent. In fact, the personal records of journalists had been obtained years earlier by Justice Department officials during the administration of Barack Obama and under the direction of then-Attorney General Eric Holder. We'll look back at what happened in those cases and what they might mean for all of us now in today's episode of Buried Treasure. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. Uh, you know, Dan, this was uh, uh, pretty chilling to uh, read the stories this morning about uh, the feds getting uh, Ollie Watkins' uh, phone records and email records. And there's a lot in this indictment uh, that um, you know could pose problems for all of us. Yeah. And um, it is sort of deja vu all over again. Um, what was striking to me was seeing that they had emails, uh, you know, going all the way back to when not, not not the content. I don't think they have the content of the emails, but uh, email information going all the way back to when she was in college, um, you know, which is, right. uh, you know, pretty chilling. I certainly hope no one is looking at my college emails. That would be problematic for me and my <laughs> not, reputation. Not, right. Not to say your current emails. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, an, another thing that uh, really caught my attention was the fact that uh, a lot of the communications were done on uh, supposedly secure apps, Signal and WhatsApp. And it does raise a lot of questions in my mind about just how secure they are. But, you know, we've got on the line somebody who knows more about this issue than anybody else because he experienced it. James Risen, former top-notch national security reporter for the New York Times. Uh, James, you with us? Yeah. Hi. How are you? Uh, good. Um Give us uh, quickly your reaction when you learned about uh, this investigation and what the feds had done here. Well, like you said, it was like deja vu. And to me, it was uh, like the kind of like a declaration from Trump that he's now starting a real war on the press. I kind of thought that everything he's done up to now was, you know, his bark was worse than his bite. You know, he kept saying how the press was all fake news and he would, you know, gin up his crowds at campaign events about the press. But he hadn't really done anything like what Obama or Bush even had done. And this is really the first time that he's gone after the press in the same way, in, in a very aggressive, legal way, uh, like Obama did. And it's very troubling. It shows that he's willing to follow through on his rhetoric. Jim, one of the things that um, you actually uh, wrote about, I think, in an op-ed uh, piece in The New York Times, um, is that uh, it was really Obama who, who kind of set the table uh, for Trump. I mean, uh, George W. Bush uh, had a pretty aggressive uh, anti-leaks policy, really went after reporters as well. But, uh, but no one um, 
in, investigated leaks more aggressively than um, than uh, Obama did. Right. And um, I think you you felt that it's important to remind people uh, that um, that that huge escalation happened in a previous administration of a president who uh, regarded himself and his policies as progressive. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, as you know, he they prosecuted uh, more whistleblowers than any than all previous administrations combined under Obama. Uh, they went after reporters in many different ways. They they got the phone uh, records of virtually the entire, I think, the entire AP Washington bureau and some other bureaus. They uh, went after, um, you know, I think in one case they called a reporter uh, unindicted co-conspirator at one point in a leak case. And in my case, you know, they, um, you know, they went after me for like seven years trying to uh, force me to testify about uh, my sources in a in a case. And, and and they got a lot of uh, of your records, as I recall it, Jim. Not just your phone records, emails, even even some of your credit card records. Yeah, they got all my credit card records. They got all of my. Uh, they got my credit reports. They got my travel records, flight records. They also got the thing that really bothered me the most was they got my um, my financial records between me and my children. Uh, my son was at the time uh, studying abroad, and um, they got um, like wire, cash wire transfers that I had sent to him to help him <laughs> travel around Europe. Uh, and um, so it was incredibly intrusive. And um, was this was this done? Was that were those records obtained uh, during the Obama administration? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you were before the show started. You said something interesting to me, which is that on a lot of these national security issues, including um, going after uh, the media, uh, that the only real difference between the Obama administration and the Bush administration is that the Obama Obama administration felt guilty right. about it, but but ultimately what they did was the same. Right. What, what did you mean by that? Yeah, I meant that um, the Obama administration had a wanted. To present themselves as, as civil libertarians and as uh, people who, uh, you know, loved the press and, and were not like those nasty Republicans, but in fact they followed almost you know the same kind of national security policies as Bush did for throughout most of uh, Obama's presidency, including in and and they actually upped doubled down on uh, leak investigations and on their willingness to spy on the press. They went much further than the Bush people ever did. But they still wanted to be considered, uh, you know, they tried to present themselves as, as uh, you know, civil libertarians. And uh, they always, I think, would always try to convince reporters of that by acting, uh, you know, by you know, presenting a sense of angst at what they felt like they had to do. But in fact, they didn't have to do it. Well, in your case, they ultimately uh, backed down, right? Holder made the decision not to pursue you as a well, witness. Uh, well, Why do you what think, happened uh, was, it's a long story before that. What happened was they uh, came after me for seven years. They took every time the federal judge in my case quashed one of the subpoenas that they issued, they reissued a new one. 
And so they ignored the uh, the federal judge in my case who kept telling them repeatedly to drop their efforts to get me. And then when they finally, when a trial subpoena to force me to testify at the trial in the lead case was quashed by the federal judge, they appealed it to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. And in that, in their briefs, they turned my case really into a fundamental showdown over the role of the press under the Constitution, because what had been a fairly incremental leak investigation, they said flat out in their appeal of the decision by the judge not to force me to testify, that there is no such thing as a reporter's privilege under uh, federal law. And what that meant was there's no protection whatsoever for any reporter not to testify in a criminal, any criminal case and to reveal their sources. So, that was their position, and that, that ultimately the Fourth Circuit agreed with them. When I appealed to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court refused to take the case. And so today, that is the standing, that is the rule, that is the law in the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals area, which covers Maryland and Virginia, including which means that any, any case involving the CIA, the Pentagon, or the NSA will uh there is no protection whatsoever under the law to not to, to uh protect your sources so would you that's say the real that legacy the, of the, that's the real legacy of the obama administration jim would you say that the obama administration set the precedent here that is being used by the trump administration to go after journalists records Yes, absolutely. That you know, they like like I said, the Bush administration started this uh, really with the plane case, as you know, and that was you know that that had a special prosecutor, just like the Mueller, the Mueller case does. The special prosecutor had enormous power to subpoena reporters in the plane case. He subpoenaed a lot of reporters, and that I think broke the precedent for the first time in about 30 years. And then Obama doubled down on that and started going after reporters all over Washington. So, Jim, so Jim, what are the, what, what, you know, what are the remedies here? I mean, like in your case, I mean, uh, you in the end didn't have to testify, uh, but uh, your case uh, seems to have set back uh, legal protections uh, for the press at large. Um, that yeah, the, 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 the Obama administration won legally in my case. They won a huge victory for the government against the press. Right. The only problem was the publicity was so bad for them that they didn't follow through. But by the time the case ended, I had no legal protection anymore against being forced to testify. I was forced to go to a pretrial hearing in January 2015, at which the government had every right to say, if you don't testify and reveal your sources, you're going to jail today. And instead, because of negative publicity, they they backed down. But there was no legal, uh, no legal obstacle to force to prevent them from doing that that day. So the Justice Department has these guidelines, and they've kind of changed over the years, depending on the uh, who the Attorney General is, but. It's supposed to make it 
harder or sort of a higher threshold for issuing a subpoena to a reporter because of the you know special status of of the media uh you know it has to be signed off on by the attorney general or whatever and you have to make sure that you know you're pursuing all other avenues to get the information before you subpoena a reporter but at the end of the day you know that's sort of self-policing and it's kind of the fox guarding the hen house so other than uh trying to you know uh you know, I you know I always compare it to think of whenever somebody mentions those guidelines to me, they were written by the guy who tried for seven years to put me in jail. Right. So I always think <laughs> of the movie Pirates of the Caribbean, where they talk about the pirates' code, yeah. and somebody at the end says, "Well, the pirates' code is really more of a guideline." So isn't? Can let I me- just say uh, one thing that leapt out at me in reading this, in rereading the indictment? I read it early this morning and just reread it. Is in your case, Jim, they were going after what they uh, said was a leak of highly classified information about a, uh, a CIA effort to dismantle and disrupt uh, Iran's um, nuclear program. Um, uh, now. As I read this indictment, although there's a reference on the first page to classified information, there's no char there's no allegation that the defendant here, James A. Wolf, leaked any classified information. Uh, there are no charges under the Espionage Act, uh, as there was in your case uh, for your alleged source. Um, it's a false statements case to the FBI. He lied to the FBI about whether he had communicated with uh, other journalists um what do you make what do you make of that that's interesting i don't know the details of this case uh unfortunately but that's interesting to me i didn't realize that you know i think with trump and this is purely my speculation i think you know i think trump has been so open and aggressive in pushing for jeff sessions to do these leak investigations that it's it's clearly a politicized process, much more than even it was under Obama. And so I wouldn't be surprised if this is just purely a way to try to, uh, you know, shut down reporting on the Trump-Russia case. Because one of the things that jumped out at me was this idea that one of the stories that they got upset about was, uh, story that Ali Watkins had written about her uh, page. And um, that to me says this is part of, and you know, I could be wrong, but it, sound, it says to me this is part of Trump's obsession with shutting down the uh, Trump-Russia investigation. Uh, Jim, just to wrap up here, because we've got another guest um, coming in who can also speak to this, Matt Miller, who was the chief of public affairs at the Justice Department during the time that the uh, Justice Department was going after you. Um, You've got a a new organization um, on Freedom of the Press. Just tell us very quickly about that and what you're doing. Yeah, I'm working for uh, uh, First Look which is the parent company of The Intercept. And um, we have a press freedom defense fund where we have, uh, we help um, pay the legal costs for journalists and whistleblowers who are in legal trouble, uh, both in the United States and around the world. And um, so it's, it's, to me, it's, a, it's an outgrowth. I, I wanted to do this as kind of an outgrowth of my own experience fighting, fighting the government. 
Um, that's great. And um, uh, Kleiman and I will come after you for some of that money when, yeah, they, uh, when they come after us. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. All right. Thanks, Jim. Take care. We'll be back with more Skullduggery. Uh, and now we have the aforementioned Matt Miller, um, who was uh, uh, chief of public affairs during the time uh, that justice was uh, tormenting uh, Jim Risen. Um, Matt, good I to see you. Wish I could say the same. Wish I could say I'm excited to be doing this. I feel like we're about to continue the argument you and I have been having for <laughs> 10 years or so. <laughs> I was going to say, what do you have to say for yourself now that it's clear you set the precedent for the Trump administration to go after journalists? Um, look, I think there's a little bit of fairness in that and a little bit of unfairness in that statement. And I've heard other people make that in the last, you know, almost 24 hours since um, since this uh, investigation was made public. Look, obviously, the uh, Justice Department under Eric Holder uh, was very aggressive in a few cases. Um, I know you were talking to Jim Risen. I think the, the case that, that um, the, the Sessions DOJ has rolled out right now is different. It's more similar to the, the two cases, one involving the AP, one involving a reporter at Fox News, where the Justice Department had gotten a search warrant and seized emails and phone records without the reporter having the chance to object to go to court to try to block it. You know, that, those were very aggressive steps. I think they were a mistake. Uh, Holder essentially uh, admitted they were a mistake in 2013 and put in place regulations to try and prevent that from happening again, except in the most exceptional circumstances. So uh, I will take the hit that, you know, we were overly aggressive in a few cases, but I think uh, we also have to, to, you know, I think people have to be honest about the fact that we did try to, you know, clean up that mess after the fact. Well, let's talk about that uh, that Fox News case. Um <clears throat> which is really one of the most aggressive uh, leak uh, investigation cases that I've ever encountered. So in that case, um, uh, Stephen Kim, uh, a State Department contractor, was under investigation for leaking information, classified information about North Korea. The reporter was James Rosen of Fox News. Um, And in the the search warrant, in the the affidavit for the search warrant, called uh, the reporter a co-conspirator. Um, and said that uh, he was, at the very least, aiding and abetting in the crime um, and investigated him almost in the same way that they would investigate an actual spy, actually you know, watching uh, his you know, comings, comings and leavings uh, for the State Department, um, you know, really, really aggressive uh, tactics. How did you get to a po- the point where you were actually in, uh, calling a reporter a, a criminal, essentially. <laughs> uh, you know, a, a couple things. Obviously, that was an extremely stupid and ill-advised thing for the department to say in that court filing. I, I think a couple things happened. One, um, you had a bunch of very aggressive prosecutors who were looking at the facts of that case and looking at the way that Rosen was communicating with Stephen Kim, using code names. You know, trying to. I think they might have been setting up dummy email accounts, but you know, was was you know trying to but, cover his tracks. But you know, you, you know why? Is, you know why? You know why they were doing that? We should be doing. We're doing that because you, of how aggressive proce- the, just, <laughs> the Justice Department was in investigating. Yeah. Right. Well, right. But you had a bunch of prosecutors looking at that who don't have a lot of experience in dealing with reporters, and they looked at that and they honestly thought, for I, this is hard to believe, I know, but they honestly looked at that and thought. Is it possible that this reporter is actually acting on behalf of a foreign government? It's absurd. Uh, 
but you had prosecutors who actually thought that, number one. Number two, I think they overcooked the language a little bit to try to authorize the search warrant that they were seeking. Um, and, and there were probably some that didn't actually believe it but thought they'd use that language. There was a big breakdown in the process of the Justice Department. It, no one came to the Office of Public Affairs. Which I was going to say, time, because you were supposed time, to uh, approve, that, as the chief of public affairs, that, you're, you were supposed to approve subpoenas for journalists. I, I was supposed to make a recommendation, yeah. And, right. no one, and there was a breakdown in the process. No one thought to come to me. And had someone come to me and said, well, look how this reporter is acting. He's at, he looks like a spy. I would have said, you guys have lost your mind. This is a reporter doing, you know, do, acting like a reporter trying to get, yes, he's right. trying to get classified information, but right. that doesn't mean he's committing a crime. Yeah, this is a kind of akin to, in some ways, a, a really aggressive invest, investigative reporter who doesn't have any editors, right? I mean, uh, who, do, who doesn't... Uh, <laughs> Although, wait a second. I should point out that, and I will take credit for breaking this story that Holder himself personally signed off on that search warrant. Right, but Matt's talking language. about something slightly different, yeah. which yeah. is... Well, when you say there was no editors in, in that analogy, there was the top guy who oversaw the process. Yeah, and it was fundamentally a mistake, and I think he would say that. Uh, and he essentially did say that later on. Um, I don't you know, don't think he used the word mistake, but uh, I remember him doing an interview with, with, with Dan, in he fact. Said uh, he said it to me. He said it to me. Where he talked about that and expressed some regret. And then you saw him launch these the, this review of the regulations, eventually right. put in new regulations to try to keep this from happening again. Although, look, regulations, uh, you know, are a dime a dozen. The fact is the Justice Department can still, in a criminal investigation, do whatever it thinks is necessary under the law to um, uh, get the evidence they need, which is apparently what they did here. What's your take on what uh, 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 on this indictment of, of Wolf, James Wolf, the chief of security for Senate Intelligence Committee, and the way they got the records that they used and cited? So let's start with what the regulations that Holder put into place said. They essentially reversed the presumption. And if you read the memo he wrote to the department, what he said is, I'm reversing the presumption. So now the rule is in in any case uh, or just about any case, except in the most exceptional circumstances, and those are the words, the most exceptional circumstances, the Justice Department is supposed to go to the reporter or to the media outlet in advance, give them a chance to negotiate some accommodation or give them a chance to go to court. And the rule sets out regulation or sets out exceptions uh, for when the department can, you know, cannot go to the outlet in advance. And they are substantial harm to the investigation, not just a little harm, but substantial harm, Uh, a a grave threat to national security, not just a little threat, but a grave threat and imminent risk to someone's life or, you know, something that would put somebody in danger. None of which seems to apply here. None of which seems to apply here. I, I think that's right. And if you back up to look at, you know, what he said, what he said in the memo, which is really the spirit of it. This is only supposed to apply in the most exceptional cases, meaning in just about every other in just about every leak case, you should not be doing that. But so but, if you look at this case, but, let me just one yeah, quickly yeah. one thing. If you look at this case, he's not charged with leaking classified information. Right. He's charged with lying to, to the FBI. But unlike the case of, say, General General Cartwright, who was who was indicted in a you know for lying to the FBI. And pardoned by Obama. And pardoned. He's not lying he's not indicted for lying about classified about leaking classified information. All of the conversations were with reporters about sensitive information, about non public information. Right. It raises a question and I, I think the big question going forward if they use this tactic in this case, mm-hmm. look at all the other leaks of information that were more important than Carter Page, which is, I think, what this is underlined about. Right. The, 
the, the leak to David Ignatius about the Flynn Kislyak phone call. The leak about, of the FISA warrant. The, the leaks yeah. of the FISA warrant. The leaks of the president's conversations in the Oval Office with the Russian foreign minister and the Russian ambassador. His leaks with the leaks of his conversations with foreign leaders. All of those look a lot more serious. I have a hard time believing this is the only case where they've done this. You know, can I just say there, there's a couple of creepy things in here, and I just want to get your take on it. Uh, when they, uh, when the FBI first goes to see uh, Wolf in December of last year and confront him about an article written by reporter number two, that's Ali Watkins, Wolf denied knowing about the reporter's sources for the article. After Wolf stated he did not know about reporter number two's sources, Wolf's sources, FBI agents confronted Wolf with pictures showing Wolf together with reporter number two. How do you think they got those photos? Um, I'm guessing there's another reference in in the indictment to meeting in you know in 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 the Senate. I'm guessing hallways Senate, clandestinely. Hallways. I'm, I'm yep. guessing it's you know there are cameras all over all over the Senate, all over the House. I'm guessing it's some kind of surveillance footage that they obtained. I doubt they were. I doubt they had an FBI agent telling her, telling him. I mean, it, it's not impossible. But if I had to guess, I would guess it was some kind of surveillance footage. Well, that's still uh, it's pretty creepy um, that they are getting surveillance photos and of uh, of reporters meeting with sources. Look, the the people we took a lot of heat for the number of leak cases that we brought versus past administrations. One of the reasons that that we brought more leak cases was not just we had the intention to bring more. It's these cases are a lot easier to bring now, and the same reason a lot of other crimes are easier to a lot of other crimes are easier to investigate. People leave footprints all over the place. They leave D- digital, digital footprints. Digital footprints. You know, James Rosen was yeah. going in and out using his badge at the State Department. Um, there's there are cameras all over the place that can track you. So it, that's the new reality in in these cases and all kinds of others. So let me ask you, uh, Matt, about uh, the uh, the guidelines um, that uh, Holder instituted. Um, and you know, there's a sort of a basic seems to me a basic kind of structural flaw with that sort of system of self-policing, which is, uh, and I think we saw that in the Rosen case, there were already some guidelines in place. Um, and it's this, the, the you know, uh, uh, Fox guarding the hen house. Um, prosecutors um, are going to, you know, prosecute crimes, investigate and prosecute crimes. And so it seems to me that at the end of the day, the only real remedy um, is, is a shield law. Um, that that uh, particularly now, uh, just the point that you just made, there's much more evidence. It's harder uh, uh, to say, you know, when you see uh, evidence of a clear crime, that not to investigate it, um, and that's going to ensnare reporters. So, uh, do these kinds of guidelines, at, at the end of the day, are they going to make a difference, or are you going to have to have a shield law? I think you have to have a lot. I agree with your point. Um, look, I think the guidelines that Holder put into place were as far as the Justice Department by itself could go. Uh, I will argue, I, you, you all may disagree, disagree that uh, I think it would be a mistake to have a blanket ban on the Justice Department ever subpoenaing a reporter's phone records. You can you can, you can can think of cases where it would be important, especially if there's an imminent threat. There There has to be some way for them to try to do it. But I agree they probably shouldn't be the ones making that determination. The ideal situation, I think, would be if they wanted to do this without going to a reporter first, they have to go to a judge and ask permission and let and make the case to a judge. They can't do that. They can't write that into statute or into regulation by themselves. That has to be a new law. The administration, the Obama administration, did endorse a shield law. 
Yeah. Um, uh, this one, this administration is very hostile to it. Jeff All Sessions right. has been hostile to it for a long time. Yeah, I, I got a dissent on the shield law, although I think it's a good thing to pass it. Every version of a shield law that I've seen always has an exception for national, national security. security exception. And in the end, and so it would not it would not help any of us. It would not have helped Ali Watkins. It would not have helped uh, uh, Jim Risen uh, on on sensitive national security cases. No shield law is going to uh, is going to protect Germany. But but a strong shield law would put that decision in the hands of a judge, not in the hands of the Justice Department. So at least the Justice Department would go and make its case to a judge, and you would have a judge that would decide whether the whether the Justice Department really had met some sort of showing. Don't that, judges that, have that, to sign off well, on? No, I'm saying that not going to this reporter. Anyway. They have to, but but there's no. But the the rules for a search warrant for a journalist's email are no stronger than you know Joe Blow on the street. There's no there's no constitutional protection for a journalist's email that's any stronger than anyone else. Let me let me ask you, um, Matt, about why. Uh, the admin- the Obama administration was so aggressive in in, in these cases, and I think there were uh, w- w- one of the issues, as I recall, and I think you and I probably talked about this at the time, is the intense pressure that the Justice Department came under from uh, not just members of Congress, uh, but particularly from the intelligence community uh, to investigate these cases. And you know, just it is true, is it not, that uh, Holder came under enormous pressure from. Uh, from the CIA, from others in the intelligence community. And I recall he was even hauled up uh, before Congress uh, by the Intelligence Committee and saying, how come you haven't made any of these cases? Yeah, so I think it's a combination of things. There was pressure from Congress, bipartisan pressure from Congress to crack down uh, on a number of of damaging uh, serious leaks. There was pressure from the intelligence community. The, there were a number of holdover cases from the previous administration. Some of the cases that that were brought during the holder years were investigations that had begun during the Bush years, and just you know, investigations take time. Um, and, and then I, I think there's also this thing that I said about you know that's just easier to make these cases than than it, than it was in the past. You know, you don't have this is nobody lives in the Watergate world anymore where you put a flower pot out on the balcony and you know that's time to meet in the garage. Well, maybe people, we should. Maybe, um, maybe, maybe you should. Right. Um, but I th- but I will say I think there's a big difference in terms of the question the appropriateness of a media subpoena where I think you can really argue. Um, that, that it's very heavy-handed for the Justice Department to take a reporter's records without asking them first. And then just the question of leak prosecutions where the department doesn't uh, ask for a reporter's records, doesn't subpoena a reporter's testimony, investigates some somehow investigates uh, using other tactics and brings a case against someone who has leaked classified information. I think in one of the cases that we brought, you could make a strong argument that the person was a whistleblower. Uh, Thomas Drake, who had who had exposed an NSA program that was initially indicted, we eventually pled it down to a very minor case. Uh, I think that was probably not the right decision to bring that case. These other cases we brought, a number of them were very serious leaks that had enormous ramifications. Which and ones? And I will say, um, the AP spy, the AP case that where we where the department did use these heavy-handed techniques, you know, exposed a. a very sensitive, you know, the fact that we had gotten wind of a bomb-making uh, operation, I think it was in Yemen, um, and 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 short-circuited some operations. Did it expose, important. because it exposed a, a, a source uh, that, a, a that source. we had inside, inside Al-Qaeda or AQAP, yeah. That, that's right, a hugely damaging leak. Um, 
uh, you know, if you John Kiriakou, who claimed to be a whistleblower and claimed that he was being prosecuted, still does, and, and claimed mm-hmm. that he was being prosecuted because he spoke out against waterboarding, it's just not true. Right. He was prosecuted because he had told someone the name of a cl- of an undercover CIA operative, one of the most damaging leaks you you can possibly make. There was no whistleblowing justification at all for his leak. So, uh, you know. You can hit us, I think, for mm. for some of the, the tactics with reporters. But I think if you go back and look at the cases we brought, for the most part, they, they were pretty justified. Hey, cases. one other thing that uh, uh, caught my attention in this uh, in this indictment, uh, they are citing Wolf, the defendant, uh, for using for communicating with atomizing messaging applications, including Signal and WhatsApp to exchange electronic communications with reporters. Now, for those of us such as myself who routinely communicate on Signal and myself. WhatsApp, thinking that they are secure communications, how did they get those records? Uh, it's a good question. Um, I, I think there is is a, a threshold question of has the department or has, has the FBI, have the NSA been able to crack Signal and WhatsApp? We, there's, no, there's been no public evidence that they have. Maybe they have, and we just don't know it. It'd be after right. my time I left the department. Obviously, if I had known, I wouldn't be talking about it. Yeah. Um, uh, so we don't know. I don't think that's what happened here. It seems to me that what probably happened is they were able to get access to Wolf's phone at some point. Um, they seized his phone. He voluntarily turned over his phone, and they were able to access his, his records. Or maybe he made the mistake that Manafort made and had WhatsApp backing up to the iPhone cloud, which is kind of an <laughs> idiotic thing to do. That's what happened in the Manafort case. And you're able to subpoena Apple. If it's backed up to the cloud, you can subpoena Apple and get access to your WhatsApp uh, backup. All right. Well, we gotta we got to wrap up. The, I'm going to make one last editorial point, which is that um, – I, you know, Mike, I don't think we should be complete absolutists uh, on, on this issue. There, there are real tensions that exist between um, the First Amendment and, and criminal law and, and, you know, protecting national security. Um, I think we should uh, be uh, pushing back very hard and making sure that, you know, these, uh, you know, boundaries are not crossed in ways that, that are really damaging to, um, to the First Amendment and, and to um, – you know, gathering of news, uh, but uh, but at the end of the day, it's going to hurt our credibility uh, with the public if we're too absolutist. And um, it's one of the reasons why uh, it's good to have someone like Matt Miller come on the show uh, and talk about these issues and allow us to talk about them in in a civil way. So thank you, Matt, for joining us. Uh, and, and thank you particularly for your mea culpa uh, here <laughs> on uh, Buried Treasure. Um, uh, All right. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Buried Treasure. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also, tell us what you think. Leave a review. We'll see you on Friday. Mm-hmm.